Good morning. <laughs> um, I pray that it is a good morning. Truly, not just a saying that we say, but <clears throat> genuinely is good. 9 uh, 11. 21 years? How old are you, Emily? You weren't even born yet. <laughs> um, 21 years. You know, I think about that, those songs that were uh, sung right now, right? And, and the, le- the only legitimate way anybody who went through that, especially people at Ground Zero, especially people who lived in New York, who were, you know, and, and, and D.C., Maryland, where, where the planes went down. The only way that those people could get through something as traumatic as that is if they had the perspective and the mindset of, I need you more. I need you more than my next heartbeat. I need you more than the breath that I breathe. And, and you know, it's been said, and we know that it, it's peaks and valleys. It's mountaintops and, and in the valley and in between. That's the Christian life. One moment you're on the mountaintop, the next time, uh, the next moment you're in a valley. Uh, yesterday was a, was, a, it was a great day. It started off great. I, I met with a, a coworker of mine that I had meaning to have coffee with. And, you know, we were able to meet up for close to two hours. And I just was able to ask a bunch of questions and get more insight and understanding of who this person is and why he's where he's at. And then I was able to share the gospel. And, you know, there was there was prayer. And, uh, you know, this man teared up in front of me and he doesn't know me from anybody. And it just the move of the Holy Spirit was so powerful, uh, you know, in that place and just was so grateful to be able to just share the love of Christ with someone who's right there, who is crying out for help. And I gave him, I showed, I pointed him, and one beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread. Hey, man, I know someone that can do far more than your, 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 uh, your therapist for your mental health situation you have. Your mind can be renewed in Jesus Christ, not to negate the, the person that's doing whatever he's doing, trying to help him. But you can go straight to Jesus Christ and you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It was a great time. And. Then later in the day, I hadn't talked to my mom in a couple of days, and she was supposed to have some kind of surgery for her hand, uh, the, her wrist that whatever broke. She had some, she had some issues with uh, having no feeling in some fingers, so she was supposed to do a surgery on Monday uh, at Kaiser. And then I had talked to her in the afternoon. I had Googled her or whatever, and I seen her face to face. And not even an hour later, she calls me. She's like, uh, is Veronica available? I think I'm having an appendicitis or something. And I'm like, Okay, why are you asking for my wife? <laughs> but anyway, in any event, you know, Veronica had to go over there and she had to go to the emergency room and, uh, you know, things went, things went on. But just in, in, a, in, in uh, you know, she's out home now. Uh, she's uh, on antibiotics. So we'll see. Uh, next 10 days is what the doctor says. If things worsens up, I guess her, her colon is inflamed. And so I don't know the medical term for it, but uh, obviously it's uncomfortable. And so uh, they're just monitoring it and uh but just that quick, I had just saw her on the screen and not even an hour later, she calls back and she's in the emergency room. So, you know, uh, peaks and valleys. But the whole point is this. 
especially when someone dies, right? That, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the deepest you're going to have sorrow and grief in this life is when someone close to you dies. But I'm going to tell you this right now, which I believe is inspired by the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you love Jesus Christ more than your loved ones, that's what's going to get you through that most difficult, darkest time of your life. If you love that loved one more than you love Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer extremely more than you need to. You see, this is the thing. He has to be our all and all. He has to encompass everything that we breathe. Our every waking moment must be, Lord, I want to absorb more of you. Help make me more like your son, Jesus. Transform me. May your love grow in me so that I may be able to carry out the call on my life in this earth. Amen? Didn't get a lot of amens there. <laughs> hey, I didn't say it was going to be easy, but I'm telling you straight up. If he is your all in all, you see, it's the obedience factor. Obedience opens up the door for joy. You see, this is why a lot of Christians walk around all humdrum. They don't have joy. Because they're basing their experience of Christianity and churchism all on the basis of happiness, which is happenstance, which is if I get what I want, I feel good. Paul wrote in a prison cell. It was difficult. It was hard. It wasn't ideal. But he talked about having joy. How did he have joy being imprisoned? Nobody goes to prison and has joy unless they have a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is and he is their all in all. Because joy supersedes happiness. It's not based on our circumstances. It's a supernatural act that you can walk through the difficulties of life and still have peace. So many people have everything this world could offer and they have no peace. They have money. They have stardom, they have fame, they have fortune, they have access to whoever they want. They use people as if they're things, and yet they have no peace. Then you have someone, maybe bankrupt, or maybe bad things have happened, and it's not their fault. The things of life just take hold, and, and it doesn't seem like it's fair, but they have this joy. They just were diagnosed with stage four cancer. How do you walk through that situation and have joy in your heart? It's got to be the Lord is number one in your life. And in that instance, all of that, you, you can deal with it because his yoke is upon you now. You're not trying to will your way through the circumstances that are trying and difficult in life. You cast your cares upon him and he provides for you. Amen. We all should desire to get to this place where this is a momentary thing from moment to moment. We're experiencing joy. We're experiencing more of him. But again, it goes back to obedience. The more obedient you and I become, the more joy will experience the more disobedient we choose to be the less joy and peace we will receive that's just the way it is i didn't make the terms but these are the terms all right we're in revelation chapter 19 this is a great 
portion of scripture, I, I like every week, I'm just super excited. I mean, it just, it, 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 I just pray the Lord to speak so clearly to you all today that you would just soak up what the Lord has for you. There, there, there are so many promises that are found in this portion of scripture. There's so much to look forward to as a follower of Jesus Christ and understand the authority that you've been given. You see, we don't have to walk around in doom and gloom. We can walk around victorious, not prideful, but walk around victorious, humbly understanding who goes before us. Amen. So with that, uh, if you could, please turn to Revelation chapter 19. We'll be reading through verses 11 through 16 this morning. And this message is simply entitled Christ on a White Horse. And it reads, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them within, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for your goodness and we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that uh, it is your son, Jesus Christ, who rightly is the, the ruler and uh, king of this universe and this world, Lord. We are thankful that we can come before you, Lord. We thank, we're thankful for your scripture, Lord, your word that you esteem so high. Lord, may we have that same estimation of your word. May we filter every decision we make through the word of God because this word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is truly how we come to understand what is really going on with you, what you choose to reveal to us and what's going on in our lives and how we are to live. It is by your word alone. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us so clear, Lord, that you would shake up anything dead in us Lord, make it alive again. May we have a thirst and a hunger for righteousness. May we not be complacent in our Christianity. May we look for ways of how we could serve others. May we be that love. May we be an action, a verb. May we do not to earn favor, but because we recognize what's been done for us. And our only response is to serve you wholeheartedly and be a blessing to those around us. So, Father, again... May you have free reign in this place. May your will be done. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we, we jumped into chapter 19. Uh, we learned about the great multitude, how heaven's going to, I mean, it's going to be jam-packed. There's going to be people all up in heaven that we're going to be like, what? You're here? <laughs> how did you get here? The same way you got here. The profession of Christ. 
And recognizing that he's the only one that can save me. But I truly believe, I truly believe there's going to be people in heaven that we're going to be like, huh? It's like the thief on the cross. It's like the thief on the cross. And that and this is just a side note, but that just goes to show, yes, we're commissioned to baptize people with water. But remember Simon the sorcerer? That dude was so twisted and crooked that he said, I want to get baptized too because I want that power so I could be casting out demons. It's like, okay, he got baptized with water. The scriptures never said he was filled with the, with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. None of those believers, when they were baptized with water, got supernaturally baptized by the Holy Spirit. It was when the other believers that were mature and obedient laid hands upon those believers who were baptized in water. Then they were baptized with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. You see, once again, Scripture doesn't contradict itself. It is a supernatural act that God alone does. While water baptism is a good thing, it's just like a wedding ring. This wedding ring does not signify that I'm not committing adultery against my wife. Only God knows that. And I'm not saying I, I am. I'm just pointing that out. Some people think they wear a wedding ring and that means that they're faithful. No, that's a symbol. You see, even Paul said, I'm, I didn't come here to baptize you. That's something that the Holy Spirit does. So, so we need to be supernaturally baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's the whole thing. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. But what got him into heaven? His profession that Christ was the Messiah. And he aligned himself with that agreement. He said, I know I'm wretched. I know I deserve to hang on this cross. But this man is a righteous man. He doesn't deserve that. And what did Jesus say to him? Surely I say to you, today you will be in paradise. That's a beautiful thing. That shows, once again, all honor and glory belong to God alone. We could never take credit for what's been done for us. All we could do is like a child, like a little child. Some of you have children here. Some of you have, many of you have grandchildren here. Like a grandbaby just lays themselves upon their mother or their father. In that same way, in that childlike faith, that's how we come to the Lord. And that's how we're reconciled. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because you don't have to earn it. You don't have to muster up all this stuff. You don't have to be, well, I, I went to seminary and I, I, I read three chapters a day. Those things are all well and good, but that doesn't earn you salvation. Those are just little mandates and constructs that we create as humans. If the Lord wants to anoint someone and raise someone up, he's going to anoint them and raise them up. They don't need no schooling. Because back in the day, didn't nobody have no schooling. They had schooling from the Holy Spirit. Now we have too many people that have all these plaques, but they don't have the supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants to hear from a fathead that has all kind of knowledge, but the love's not there. What does the Bible say? If I have all these things, but I don't have love, if I don't really love people, if I'm not moved with compassion to do something, and I'm, I'm speaking fired up here because I can't, this is the thing, right? What you're filled with when you bump into people in this world, it's going to spill out. I can't help what is going on in me because this is what I'm filled with. So I, 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 can't, I can't quench it. <laughs> it just is what it is. I'm so fired up because I just, I'm seeing so clearly in my life nowadays the move of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord just wants us to get it and understand that it's the love. As He loves us, He wants us to love other people. He really does. He really does. doesn't matter what's going on all around the world. What is going on right here in your sphere of influence? How can you be used to magnify the Lord where you are at? That is what we are going to be accountable for on the day when we have to go before the Lord. 
He's going to say, what did you do? What did I do? Did I pass it off to the next person and say, oh, someone else will do it. I don't have time. Or did we go out of our way, led by the Holy Spirit, and be a blessing to those around us? That is what matters. That is what counts. That is true ministry. And it's not going to look like how the world paints it. And it's not going to look like how the large church paints it. Because it's not about numbers. It's not about filling seats. It's not about having all this stuff. It's not about the pastor having a parking space with his name there. That stuff is not, that's not what it's about. It's about just loving people and doing for people. If we, I'm kind of going off right now, but it's to paint the picture of what's really going on. So I had this mandated reporter training this week and and we have to do it because the state of california calls us to do it but they say all these things this is what you do and this is what you don't do and i talked to one of my buddies as an older gentleman who's a christian at my work and i said you know what if we would just love our neighbors as ourselves we wouldn't even have to have a mandate reporter training because people would know this is the way i treat people i would treat this person as i want to be treated how we need discernment in our day and age, amen? Because many people, they, don't, they treat people, they don't care. We use people. We treat people like trash. We treat people like they're expendable. We don't treat people like they were created in the moral image and character of God to have fellowship with him. When we start treating people the way they should be treated, we start getting a glimpse of how the Lord sees us. It's a beautiful thing. But back to the point at hand, yes, heaven's going to be occupied with all kind of people and no one's going to be quiet. They're going to be praising the Lord, obviously, in some form of order. It's not going to be chaos. It's not going to be like barking like dogs. I know some churches where they just get out of hand where it's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's like some demonic spirit or you are in the flesh. You're doing stuff that that's not. The Lord's not giving you authority to act like a fool, rolling around and doing all kinds of stuff that's not biblical. But heaven will be filled with praise and joy over the victory and the authority of the one and true God. The destruction of Babylon. That's going to be so great. Because like, no more of this. No more of all this flesh and this worldliness. But now we are uh, enveloped with, with purity in its, in its purest form in heaven, not tainted. Don't have to worry about fiery darts and unclean thoughts. Everything's going to be right. Everything's going to be made the way it was to be from the beginning. We were also encouraged to be prepared for the great wedding, wedding feast of the Lamb. And I pray that as you went about your week this week, that you've kept that somewhere in your mind, that you're going to be attending that wedding feast. How prepared are you? What are you doing to prepare yourself for this wedding feast, to be at the table. Matthew chapter 22, 1 through 14 is a great portion of scripture where Jesus talks about, he gives a parable and there ends up being somebody there who's not, who's not clothed in, in, in the wedding garment. He said, how did you get in here? And he told the servants, send this person out into darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what that symbolizes is somebody who comes in the name of Jesus Christ simply for religious reasons, simply for the benefit of what they can gain from Christ, but not having a true relationship, not being in communion with Jesus Christ. We take those elements and we eat the cracker and drink the juice. Why? Because we're acknowledging that we have a common union with Jesus Christ. And so this is, this was a special time where we come together and we do this. 
But you see, if there's no common union between us and God, we're going to be like that person that's at the wedding feast that doesn't have the right garments on. And he didn't have the right garments because he wasn't clothed with Christ or she wasn't clothed with Christ. The scripture doesn't say if it's a man or woman, but either way, that person did not have on the new man of Jesus Christ. We need to make sure you and I have that new man on and we never take him off. Amen. Relationship with Jesus Christ is everything. If anything you get out of this message, get that. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is crucial. Everything that you do in this life rests upon that. I don't care where you work. I don't care who you marry. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your bank account looks like. I don't care what the state of your family is, whether they're saved or unsaved. If you are right with Jesus Christ, all things are going to work out according to those who love Jesus. Amen? You have to bank on that truth. I have to bank on that truth. That has to become a reality by which we live by. Or else we are going to falter and fall apart when the difficulties and the vicissitudes of life come upon us. Because they are going to come upon us. That's just the way it is. I can't tell you any different because the scripture doesn't tell me any different. My life doesn't tell me any different. All I see is the different. It just pains me how much people suffer. It sucks that people suffer. Pain is another indication that sin is real. We were supposed to live forever without sin. But because sin entered the world, we must die a physical death. It hurts to die. I'm sure when Abel got smashed on with that rock over his head, it hurt. Heck of bad. <laughs> there wasn't nothing to alleviate the pain, the blood bleeding when Stephen was, was stoned to death. You know, nowadays we got stuff to numb the pain and we can kind of die easy. Er. <laughs> Back then it was just all pain, pain, pain until you're gone, until the Lord took you. And so I'm not painting a picture of doom and gloom. I'm painting a picture of reality. And this is why it's so joyous to have relationship with Jesus Christ because you know you're promised all these things, meaning peace, love, joy, uh, and everything that you're ever going to need. Last week we learned how a great multitude greater than anyone has ever seen, again, will be rejoicing over this destruction of Babylon. Finally, we were, were reminded that worship is reserved and entitled for God alone. Not for any human, not for any sports figure, not for any swimsuit model, not for any scientist, not for any politician, not for any preacher, not for any uh, angel, not for any false God that we create with our own understanding, but God and God alone. And all these points lead us to our text this morning, Jesus on a white horse. The first main point is this. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. Amen? His judgments are always righteous. His judgments are always right. He is never wrong. This portion of scripture signifies the finality of the redemption for mankind. You see, once Jesus Christ cracks open the sky and returns for his second advent, that means the final curtain closes. Exit stage left. It's over. There is no encore. It's done. It's a done deal. You see, when he first came to earth, we all know this. 
He came to pay the price to redeem us from sin and death. He came as a suffering servant. But when he returns, he will return as a conquering king. You see, the reality is this. No matter how we cut it, no matter how we try to philosophize, no matter how we try to debate it, there are only two paths in this world. There's life and there's death. There's Jesus Christ and there's Babylon. That's it. Everything is encompassed in those two. It's either Christ or everything else. Ever since the beginning of time, humans have had a way of trying to make the decision. We've had to make the decision to either follow after God His way, by His precepts, by His mandates, or we had the opportunity to try to follow after God our own way, out of our own constructs, out of our own ideas, out of our own fascinations, and those two train of thoughts still remain at large today. That's, that's the two camps you're going to find people in. People that will submit themselves under the authority and the rule of God the way He wants us to come to Him, or we try to come to Him our own way. And then, again, this whole, it just keeps popping in my head, Cain and Abel. Abel came the way God said to come. Cain came his own way, and his offering was rejected. What I mean is this, Jesus Christ is the bridge that connects us back to God the Father. It's a work that he did alone so no one else could ever take credit for it. But when people reject God's way of connecting to him, they instead rebel and create their own ways. Even inadvertently, when we reject Christ, even though we don't mean to, we're already choosing the other path. Because we're saying, I don't need your way. I'm not accepting that as the ultimate authority of truth in my life. I'm going to reason and I'm going to figure out another way to come to God. Or I'll just deny you completely and say you don't exist. You see, this is exactly what the Tower of Babel was an expression of. They didn't want to follow after God the way that their forefathers did, the way they were told to, the way they were taught. They said, we're going to create this tower and we're going to reach heaven and we're going to show people, we're going to show the world that we are doing it our own way, that we don't need God, that we can be our own gods. They refused to acknowledge God as he revealed himself. So they tried to find a way to reach God in their own way. And that's the whole thing about philosophy, right? Philosophy from way back when, from Plato, uh, Aristotle, Socrates, all these you know, great minds of the past, they are trying to understand God. They're trying to reach God. But the revelation of God reaches down to mankind. The revelation of Jesus Christ reveals God to us. So we don't have to try to come up with all these ways to figure out with all these methods. No, God said, I'm going to give my son as a sacrifice for you. If you accept him, you're accepted into my family. You're brought back into right relationship with me. I hold you in my bosom and we're good. If you don't accept my son, Jesus Christ, and you reject him, then you are lost and you go of your own volition. Remember, nobody, uh, I mean, excuse me, God sends nobody to hell. People go of their own volition because we choose to deny the existence of Jesus Christ. And even the intellectual assent to understand him isn't enough. It has to be the supernatural act that the Holy Spirit does coming into your life and rearranging and changing you. That is how you can determine whether or not you are saved. You just look at your life. Look at what's being produced in your life. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Be honest with yourself. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Or are you bearing the fruit of the flesh? 
We should more and more bear the fruit of the Spirit if we profess to be Christians. You see, all throughout Scripture, Jesus is revealed as being faithful and true. His judgments are righteous because he is without sin, because he is perfect. When we, unfortunately, violate his decrees, we are justly guilty. And I had to have this, this in love, but this honest, real conversation with my buddy, with my coworker yesterday morning. He said, I, I don't understand. And I said, have you ever lied? He said, uh, yeah, I've lied. Took a page out of Ray Comfort's book. I said, uh, have you ever have you ever stolen anything? You say, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's this one time a streaming site. I, you know, I guess, you know, I, I pirated some music. I said, have you ever looked upon a woman or any person with lust? He said, sure, I have. I said, have you ever coveted something or someone? He said, yes, I have. I said, so by your own volition, with your own mouth, you told me you're a, a lying, thieving, adultering <laughs> cover, coveter. I said, we didn't even get through all the commandments. I said, so do you see, if you were to die right now, and that's the basis of what you've done, do you think you're in right standing with God the Father? I said, no. I said, where do you think you would go? I said, I'd probably go to hell. I said, but see, we have to understand the bad news to receive the good news. I said, the good news is, I said, because I'm all those things too. I'm a lying, thieving, conniving, adultering fool. <laughs> you know, adultering against the Lord, <laughs> not against my wife. That's not something to brag about. I'm just saying. Um, but you see, in that instance, that's where Jesus comes in. And all those things can be washed away. My whole point I'm saying is because, again, because he's perfect and righteous, we are justly guilty before him. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 tells us, Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And that's a sad thing when people are so lost that they're just like, dude, I'm super steeped in sin. I really don't care. I don't believe that I am. But I'm going to bring you along, too. And I'm going to encourage you to do it with me. Oh, yeah, it's all good. It's like you're dragging people. That's what uh, I can't remember where in the portion of Scripture, but it is better to have a millstone tied around your neck. <laughs> Than, uh, you know, than, to, than to mess with one of these little children and cause them to sin. That's the reality. We, do, we, we don't want to be those who, who are like that, who are living in that form or that way. This is exactly what's going on in our text this morning. You see, Jesus Christ has returned to reign over earth, and all those who willfully reject his authority will taste his wrath at full strength. Once again, this is coming from a place of He's continued to lay out the, the terms for people, but they've continued to reject for generation and generation and generation and say, no, no, no. At some point, the patience of God comes to an end and he says, no, enough is enough. Right now, you might be asking yourself, this world is in such chaos. It's in such disarray. Uh, me and Daniel were talking in prayer and, you know, obviously you've, you've heard and seen in the news that the queen died, the queen of England. And she was a righteous woman. She was a Christian. She was a follower of Christ. As Daniel had mentioned uh, earlier in the week, you know, uh, that monarchy is never going to be the same. <laughs> They're never going to be the same. You know, never going to be as it was when 
when, when the principles that she lived by permeated what was going on, even when the younger generations were starting to stray from it, she still was uh, ho- the backbone holding that together, so to speak, in human terms. But you see, all things come to an end. And at some point in time, all this is going to come to an end when Jesus says, enough is enough. I'm returning for my people. The second main point is this. There are some things that will forever remain a mystery to us about God. As we move along in our text, we read in verse 12, there is a name written on his head that no one knows but Jesus Christ himself. This likely refers to the fact that Jesus is actually indescribable, right? There's there's a song, indescribable, right? And that's the reality. In ancient times, I know I can't hold a tune. Don't, don't, don't hold me to it. That's why Michelle is the, you know, the worship leader. We're not old school where the pastor would be the worship leader and all. You know, no, we're going to delegate that off. <laughs> this likely refers to the fact, again, because in ancient times, it was often believed that knowing a person's name provided a certain spiritual leverage. Um, Genesis chapter 32, verses 28, uh, 27 and 28, excuse me, it says, And he said to them, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 9, where Jesus is uh, in the graveyard with that man cutting himself all crazy, naked, all beaten up. And remember, he says, who are you? And he said, legion, because there's many unclean spirits, many demons in this man. And uh, you, we know what happened. Jesus cast them out. They, they already know. They shudder at the name of Christ. They say, don't send us to the bottomless pit yet. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And he just puts them into the pigs, and the pigs jump off the cliff, and they die. But the whole point is, there's, 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 uh, there's meaning associated with the name. And symbolically, Jesus Christ will return to earth with a name unknowable to any other person. His personality and deeds extend far beyond what we can comprehend and understand. You know, we only get a glimpse of his love. That's already enough. It's so, it's just so much. That's why there's some moments where you're just so filled with the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the majesty of who he is that you just, all you can do is just cry. You just, you can't even get out. You can't even belt out a word. You just, you just crying like a baby because you're so overwhelmed. Your, your spirit is recognizing and coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit. And you're just so blown away. And that's, I, I don't know. I can't estimate it. That's like not even a pinky nail's worth of his love because he's an infinite being. He's not created. He extends far beyond the scope of time and space. So we could never fathom the immensity and the gravity of who God is. That's who we serve. That's the great God we serve. The great I am. It's so good. It's so good. But we have this minimalistic view of God. We make him so tiny. And that's why we don't have victory the way we should. We have to start getting our eyes on the Word of God and how the Word describes Him. So then that way we can have the proper perspective. And that's why, that's why people fall on their face, prostrate. That's why they fall on their face and humble themselves before the true and living and mighty God because they recognize how in awe of Him they should be. 
He is the creator of the world. He is the creator of your life. You didn't create yourself. You didn't make yourself anything you are. I didn't make myself anything I am. So my, at my worst, because that's all my offering is to him, it, it, it's, he doesn't need it, but my worst should be my best, if that makes sense. It should be the best I can do. It should be all in all, everything I am, and never be anything short of that. Because when we say, Flipping things and, uh, and you know, I'm not saying you got to spend an hour in prayer. What I'm saying is it's the intent of our minds and our hearts. If we come at him loosely, then we shouldn't be surprised when we don't experience him greatly. It's because we've chosen to make him minimal in our thinking and in our mind. But he should be magnified. Every decision that we make in this life should be filtered through the scope of who God is. And the fear of the Lord. I pray that the fear of the Lord would never depart from you. That it would never depart from me. Because it's in the fear of God, that reverent respect and awe of him, that you live out a holy life. The fear of the Lord will keep you from making foolish decisions. Amen? It truly will. It will keep you from making things that are going to destroy the people around you. You're going to bring life to people because of the fear of the Lord. And there's a militant aspect to this Christian walk. I keep telling people, and some people look at me like I'm sideways, and I'm not being legalistic. But if God's army, if a, if a human army has order, has function... They do things a certain way. They're super serious about it. I'm not saying you can't have fun, but what I'm saying is I just sense that just, just so laid back. It's like, what is going on, man? Why? <laughs> there needs to be a seriousness because people's souls are hanging in the balance and hell is a very real place. God's army, he's looking for people that are ready to fight. Are you ready to fight the good fight? <laughs> it's a good thing. This is yet another attribute and reason why he alone is the God of all creation. The fact that he is indescribable, uncomprehendable in certain regards. The fact that there's a mystery and a mystique about him. Some things that we could never understand. Even he told Job, you weren't there when I created the universe. You weren't there when I put the stars in their place. Who are you to tell me? And that's the same thing with us. We just have to have that faith and trust and believe and say, you know, what? it's okay, Lord. Just reveal to me what you want me to know. <laughs> and everything else, I'm going to be okay with, Lord. You, you, you allow it to be what you allow it to be. Give me the faith to just believe you are who you say you are. And I'll be okay. Amen. The third main point is this. By his word, all things were created and set right. We are reminded in our text that Jesus Christ is the word of God. The title for him is so significant because the Bible is clear that of all things, the word of God will endure forever. First Peter, excuse me, chapter one, verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is the grass is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, it is very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ holds all authority and power simply by the word he speaks. In Genesis, all you have to do is look at the book of Genesis. The Lord simply spoke and life came to be. Life was created on the basis of the authority of who God is. Since he is limitless and all of his attributes are limitless, when he speaks, his power and authority create. Remember, all Jesus Christ needed to do was to speak a word to the sea and everything became calm. In a similar way, the double-edged sword comes out of his mouth in our text this morning is a representation of his ultimate authority. The word of God simply spoken by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will chop down all opposition. No fleshly weapons needed. <laughs> a gentle answer turns, turns away wrath. That's been coming up in conversation this week. No need to get, get aggressive. No need to get violent and vile back at someone who lashes out. All you have to do is just give them a calm word. And the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will lump a pile of hot coals on their head. Maybe not in your face, but at some point in time, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be convicted. They're going to be guilty. They're going to know. And I, I said the wrong thing. I, I went the wrong way at that person. Because our weapons aren't fleshly. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle, right? So this is the thing. We are to follow after our Lord as he does. A simple word he speaks, and it's done. All right. Um, the way this portion of scripture is this week, we're just lumping it all in one. So 11 through 16, here we go. I'll read it once again, and we'll break it down. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse and... The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So we see this first phrase here. Now I saw heaven opened and behold. There is a sense that everything before this in the book of Revelation is an introduction to this revelation or this unveiling, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Man, they are rocking with that bass, man. It's a little loud, man. <laughs> it's all right. The power of the Holy Spirit come upon you. But now he returns in all power and authority to earth. Once again, we see this pattern. If you look at every Hollywood movie, every suspense movie ever created, it's actually, they're actually fashioned after the accounts of the Bible, whether these writers or producers were even aware, with it, or were aware of it or not. You might be asking, how is this so? Because there's so much lewd, crude stuff in the movie industry. Well, just think about it. The battle between good and evil. That always makes a good movie, right? There's battle between good and evil. It's all wrapped up 
in every storyline ever created on a movie screen? And where are the origins of good and evil found? Where are they communicated to people? Well, right here in God's word, good and evil. Jesus will return to earth as the conquering king ruling and reigning forever. According to Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, when Jesus Christ returns, he will come first to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And I'll just read that portion of scripture for the sake of context. It says in verse 3 of Zechariah 14, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. And when he fights on a day of battle, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. You see, when this event occurs, the plea of Isaiah chapter 64 verses 1 and 2 will be fulfilled. And I will read those verses as well for context. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. That's Jesus coming and saying, man, this is all mine. I'm coming back. You know, Satan, for whatever reason, the Lord said, I'm going to allow you to have a lease on this land. He said, I'm taking it all up. This is all mine. <laughs> this is all mine. I'm snatching all my people up. And, and Satan, you're going to hell where you belong. And all the people that reject me, you're going right with them. And all your minions are going with you too. You see, this prayer for deliverance will be on the lips of the Jewish people surviving through the Great Tribulation. Unlikely as it may seem now, they will cry out to Jesus as their Messiah. We know that there are some Jewish people that are coming to understand that Christ is their Messiah. And it's so difficult for them because they're like, okay, the Christians, yeah, that's your God. But the reality is he is all for all of us. He's for the Jew first, the Gentile as well. But there are, there are a number of Jewish people who are coming to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But there's going to come a time when the nation with all of those who are the remnant of the 12 tribes of Israel will come and cry out to Jesus as their Messiah. As Jesus said in Matthew 23, uh, verse 19, I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, hard pressed by all of the horrible persecution and the things that are going to go on in the great tribulation because of the Antichrist, Israel as a whole will turn their hearts towards Jesus and he will deliver them from this difficult situation at such a late hour. It's been said before. I know, Michelle, I know back in the day, your dad told me, he said, God's never late. Even if it's 1159 with 59 seconds, he's going to show up. He's going to show up not a day late and a dollar short. He's going to come through right when he needs to, even if it's not how we think. And that's the thing, right? I know that stumps me all the time. Man, Lord, I think it should be like, well, there you go, Keefing. You thought, because I thought, he's like, let me do what I do. And you just trust. And that's how we have to be. And that's what's going to happen with this remnant of the Jewish population. They are going to come to receive their Messiah at the exact time that the Lord decrees it to be so. The application is this. The Lord God always comes through. You see, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what circumstances are, 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 are you're hard-pressed. And, 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 and on every side, you feel like you're getting pummeled. 
and, and you just don't see how things are going to change. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not a little bit, not some, not 75%, right? But all your heart, all my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. You see, so it's this all-in mentality that we have to forsake our understanding, our thinking. You know, a lot of times, again, as Christians, we're walking by sight and not by faith. It's like, it don't matter what it looks like. You gotta, if the Lord says go, you got to go. If the Lord says submit, you got to submit. If the Lord says seek me, seek him. And, and don't, 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 base, don't base your ability to see physical things on what you think is going to happen. You just got to trust. Lord, I know you're going to come through. I have these remembrance stones of all the things that you've already brought me and my family through before from the past. I know you're not going to leave me may not look how I want it to look, but I know at the end of the day, the bottom line is, if I, if I trust in you, I know that you can work a way that you can save this person. You can save their soul and that they can be at peace with you. And that's the most important thing, amen, right? Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in the physical things. And it sucks, man. It sucks that people's bodies wither away and decay and, and, and sickness and illness comes in and it strangles the life out of us. But if that person's soul is saved, that's the most important thing. It's like, Lord, I, I, I wish that it wasn't like this. But you know what? God bless you that you bless this person that, that they're saved. That's all I care about. That's all I care about for my kids. I don't care where they work. I don't care where they go to school. I don't care about none of that stuff. I care. They need to get saved. I, I can't force them to get saved, but I can trust and hold on to that prayer that if I train up a child in the way he or she should go when they get older, they're not going to depart. Yeah, they're going to be prodigals for sure. We're all prodigals. Yeah, they're going to be reprobate for a season. But the whole thing is, man, I'm trusting that, Lord, you're going to get a hold of them at the right way at the proper time. And you're going to shake them kids up and they're going to trust in you with all their heart. They can't piggyback off mommy and daddy. They got to have their own relationship. But I believe the word of God. I trust in his promises. Amen. Because he comes through. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us, and we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Hold on to that promise. All things, not some things, not 25%, not 10%, not 80%, all things. Again, the whole thing is, it's just difficult to grasp because we're like, it doesn't make sense to us. I don't see how you're going to do it, Lord. <laughs> That's 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 your that's that's it working out like Paul in prison. That's it working out. That's it working out, Lord. But it did because he was inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. and He was used to pen these magnificent scriptures that we still hold on to today in a dungeon. He wasn't sitting in San Quentin where he had somewhat a clean underwear and decent food. He was in a dungeon. You know, it wasn't these American prisons, man. He didn't have color TV. <laughs> yeah, I know in California, we don't have weights no more, but, you know, they got all kind of contraband they bring into prison. He didn't have all that, but yet he still had joy and peace. And that was the Lord's will for his life. Next, we see when Jesus comes, he's going to come on a white horse. To get a greater understanding of what this truly depicts of Jesus Christ, we need a little bit, again, of contextual background. See, in biblical times, especially amongst Israel, most soldiers were foot soldiers. So to have a horse in battle was a significant advantage because, I mean, you were on a horse. All these men are on foot. You're on a horse. I mean, you'd be, I mean, slicing people up 
from that, from that vantage point. A horse represented honor, power, and speed. And the color of this horse speaks of victory because it was white. It was pure. Faithful and true, this next statement that we see. The glorious title shows Jesus is the keeper of all promises, including his promises of judgment. So you see, this is why we need to trust him alone with all of our hearts. And again, lean on our own understanding. Again, if we walk by what we see in this life, we will get discouraged. We will fear. We will fail. We will be ineffective. That's why over and over the Lord told Joshua, do not be afraid. He commanded him, do not be afraid. Be encouraged. And he told him how. He said, don't let the law of Moses depart from you. Meditate on it day and night. You see, that is the secret, church. That is the key. The word of God. The holy canon of scriptures. Focus on this throughout your days. Do never let this word depart from your heart and you will have victory. He told Joshua, that same thing stands for us today. Hold on to the word. But how much are we in the word? Do we hold on to it? Do we, do we hide it in our hearts? You see, if we're not doing those things, we're guaranteed we're not going to have victory. You want victory all the time? Man, cling to his word. You're going to have that victory all the time. I'm experiencing it in my own life, even in the difficulties of life, and I'm having victory. It's amazing, but it's because of his promises if we are obedient. You see, but if we walk by faith, we will be encouraged even in difficult times. We will experience victory even in difficult times. We will be effective in our service to the Lord, even in the difficult times of life. And in the good times of life, oh man, it's going to be like you're on cloud nine. (laughs) People can't get that smile off your face because you're just filled, you're enthralled with the Lord, just moving through you in such a way. It's, It's truly a beautiful thing. It truly is. It's something that nothing or no one else could ever give to you but the Lord. Just as he promises blessings for all who walk in obedience to him daily, you can expect curses to come upon you if you choose to live a life of disobedience towards him. Again, it's just clear as day. We have to make the right choice. Life is just a series of decisions, but it's all about what decisions we choose to make. And when we make a bad decision, praise God for repentance. All we got to do is submit, say, Lord, I was wrong. My heart wasn't in the right place. My mind wasn't right. Lord, renew my mind, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. Just like that. It's not a magic act. It's a supernatural act. You're back on track. You're good to go. It's the people that get bogged down by all of this guilt and this shame and this condemnation. And best believe Satan will test you daily. Satan's just waiting to test you in me. He's waiting to find a little chink in that armor uh, so he could just stab you and twist the knife. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's waiting for. That's why we have to be so militant in our understanding of, man, I got to be disciplined in my studying of the word of God. I got to be disciplined in my prayer life. I got to be disciplined in, in, in all these things so that I can be prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit. So, man, so when Satan comes around, I'm about to knock this fool out with the power of the Holy Spirit. You ain't catching me slipping because I'm, I'm already fortified. I'm insulated with the righteousness of God. But see, when we don't have the, 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 the forethinking to, to insulate ourselves by knowing that I got to be prepared. Like when you come here on Sunday morning, you got to come prepared. Don't just show up. You need to be 
I don't care what you're doing. You ironing, whatever. You got the worship music on. You're prayed up. You're hearing a message. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's how I get down. I'm not saying follow me. What I'm saying is that's what Jesus is showing me. We got to be in every situation and circumstance in life. Don't just come up in here dragging. I'm saying, I mean, if you're a new Christian, I get it. But if you've been here for a while and you're mature, we all pretty much been here for a while. We should be prayed up. We should be solid. We need to be on that regiment. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. Remember, you're a soldier in the army of God, men and women alike. This ain't just for the men, young people and old people. Don't think it's just for the older people. You youngsters, I know there's only a couple of y'all here. Y'all need to follow that thing, too, because you want to be solid in the Lord. You want to be unshakable, unbreakable, because he's unbreakable. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. You see, Jesus comes as a judge and a general to make war. The world that rejected him before rejects him again. But this time, Jesus judges those who reject him. Oh, this is a hard saying, but this is, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. In context, it's not as hard. But when we don't understand what he's saying, we're like, people just they get turned off. But this is what Jesus says about him and us loving him alone the most. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. It says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. <laughs> that's just he's just telling us you got he we got to be like man you're my everything yeah i forsake all for you and, and, and see i think that's where like the rich young ruler he had he went he 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 mourned as he walked away because he he, he loved the stuff he couldn't let go of the stuff and for some of us we can't we can't we can't put him first because these other relationships are fighting for our attention where it's like you want your relationship with your spouse to be right. Put Jesus first. You want your relationship with your children to be right. Put Jesus first. You put your children over Jesus. You're going to have all kind of issues in your life. You put your spouse before Jesus. You're going to have all kind of issues in life. You have to. I have to put Christ first. Then all those other relationships will take their rightful place in his perfect timing. Amen. This is just what it is. He tells us we're not we're not worthy of him if we choose other things or people ahead of him. The marriage only stays the marriage because Christ is the love of each person's life. I told myself if I live long enough and my son and my daughter get married, I'm going to ask that person, who do you love? And if they don't tell me they love Jesus more than they love my children, I'm going to say, get out of my house. You're not you're not marrying my children. I'm serious. It's that real. Like the love of Christ should be the first thing, not a person. Everything else will work out. This is completely the opposite of how the world religions like to depict Jesus Christ. See, he came hard right there. He said, I ain't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. (laughs) It's no joke. They always depict him as meager and weak. Every picture I see of Christ, and I know we're not even supposed to make pictures of Jesus, whatever, but I'm saying the pictures I see, he's always got them. Like, not looking solid, like, no, Jesus is no joke. Like, he has got all power and authority. He is meek. 
in one regard, but in the same token, he is absolute unending power and authority. The reality is this, any view of God which eliminates judgment and his hatred of sin is in the interest of a false emasculated doctrine, which is a false doctrine. We must remember he is not Aladdin. He's not some genie in a bottle. We can't control him. We, we need to see Jesus as someone who demands not only our attention, but also our submission. The reality and the application is this. It's good for us to remember that this dramatic display of judgment comes only after the end of a long time of grace, patience, and mercy. This is not a rush to judgment. Jesus has given ample time displaying his nature of mercy, forgiveness, and grace to this fallen world. He's been doing it for a long time. He comes now to judge a world hardened and totally given over to their rebellion against him. Remember, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All of these passages point to the sad conclusion that on the day of judgment, it will be too late for men and women to expect mercy from God. There is nothing worse than judgment being rendered because someone has chose not to act upon the gift of salvation. We must remember that he does all in righteousness. The wars that he wages are not from ambition, not from lust of power, not of, from conquest uh, like men try to do. They are righteous in their principle and in their objective. The application is this. Christ's kingdom is not deceptive. He wages war against the unrepented wickedness of men. He wars against the evil for righteousness sake. While men are simply looking for worldly power and material gain, even in the instances of war for the sake of freedom, there's always been a deceitful bloodiness there where innocent victims have died. But God doesn't wage war in that way. He's righteous and he's true. His eyes, next we see, are like a flame of fire. Why are they like a flame of fire? The Lord's eyes are depicted in this way as to show that he alone is able to discern the secrets of all hearts. There is no secret in us that Christ does not see and does not know. There is no lewd thought. There is no unbelieving skepticism that Christ does not read. There is no hypocrisy, no racism, no classism, no deceitfulness that he does not see as easily as a man reads a page of a book. He knows our innermost workings. This is yet another reason why we would be wise to confess all to him alone. Go into your prayer closet and seek the Lord, and then he'll, he'll bless you in, in, in open. You see, he's waiting for us to surrender all so that we may be healed. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on in the heart. Next we see this statement, on his head were many crowns. The last time the earth saw Jesus Christ, he wore a crown of thorns, but not in Revelation chapter 19. Here he wears many crowns. And it's crazy because like uh, Kendrick Lamar is a rapper. He has $3 million crown of diamonds thorn crown of diamonds and i was like it's such a mockery of jesus christ he thinks he's cool he thinks he's doing the right thing and yet how are you glorifying jesus when that crown of thorns was used to humiliate and mock christ and you're spending three million dollars on a crown of 
thorn, looks like thorns, but they're diamonds. This is so, it's just such a mockery to Christ. We see this is Satan, how he mocks the Lord, even in our present day. But you see now when he comes back, he's going to wear many crowns or many diadems, as some uh, texts say. The ancient Greek word used for crowns, again, here is diadem, which is the crown of royalty or authority. The application is this. The fact that there are many crowns means that Jesus is the ultimate in royalty and authority and power. It is a visible manifestation of what it means to be king of kings. It is an expression of ultimate sovereignty. Next, we see this portion of scripture says he uh, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His robe is dipped or sprinkled in blood. Bible scholars, they debate whether or not this is his own blood or or uh, from the cross or the blood of his enemies. Either is quite possible, but if it were to be his blood, it totally connects to the Old Testament practice of sacrificial offerings on the altar. The blood of sacrificed animals would be sprinkled around the altar in preparation of the sacrifice being burnt. This is a side note, but this was super cool as I was just in my leisurely time reading. And I learned this as I read was reading in Leviticus this, this week. I learned that the word altar comes from the Greek word that translates to slaughter. So it gave me a great understanding. I've heard it before, but it brought back to life this vivid picture of what it would be like to approach the altar of God. Back then, it was like there's blood everywhere. You go to the altar, man, there's blood everywhere. The priest's robes are filled with blood. Their hands stink. It smells like iron. You know, it's bloody. I mean, it's like, again, in my human thinking, how does it smell good? How is this a sweet aroma to you, Lord? It stinks. The smell of burning flesh stinks. But it's the symbolism of what it really represents because that person had to bring an unblemished, perfect animal and put their hand upon that animal. First, they had to slit the juggler, which sucks if you're an animal lover. You've got to cut the throat of that thing, get blood on your hand. Then you've got to put your hand on the animal's head, signifying my sins are transferred onto this animal. And then the priest is going to burn it up and it's going to be a burnt offering to the Lord. But again, it's this whole idea of how do we, I know that many times we don't come, I mean, we don't got an altar, but I'm saying like, how do we approach the Lord? There has to be a reverence there because look at what it cost. Forget about those animals. The fact that Christ died, Christ's blood, you know, is upon that cross. We should come with a reverence and a respect and an honor and a humility because we understand how greatly it costs the Lord. Now, this is, the, this is the heart of the message. I know I'm running a little bit, but I'm going to be done. I'm going to wrap it up here in about five minutes here. You can hold me to that. <laughs> a name by which is the word of God. This has to be my favorite part of this message. You see, we know from Scripture that Jesus Christ is the Word of God, capital W. Uh, again, John chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God spoke, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You see, the power is in his word. He spoke things into existence because all power and authority are in him, his son, his word, and the Holy Spirit. Remember in Mark chapter 4, verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Once again, all power and authority are in his word. 
in the wilderness when Satan tempted Jesus Christ. Three separate times Jesus confronted Satan with not physical force, but with his word. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In every situation, it's all about the word of God. What a shame in our country that we've taken prayer and Bibles out of public schools. You see, once upon a time, teachers, all they had to be concerned about was people chewing bubble gum and maybe kids cutting class. But now we're fighting against school shootings, teen pregnancy, and drug overdoses. I guess prayer in school wasn't such a bad thing after all, was it? <laughs> the Lord holds his word in such high regard. Just read Psalm Psalms chapter 138, verse 2. It says, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You see, in all things, his word is the centerpiece. Satan don't care if you say my opinion, what my mama think, what my daddy think, what my uncle think, what my brother thinks, what my best friend thinks. But once you say the word of God says... That gets Satan out of there real quick. He gets him out of there. With it, we are made whole. Without it, we have nothing. Faith comes, remember, by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. Armies in heaven. These are God's people. There is little doubt that angels will also accompany Jesus and his people. But the main idea is that the Son of God leads the people of God from heaven against earth. There is no mention of any kind of armor or weapon for any soldier in the great army. They're just following Jesus. The only armor or weapon that they need is they're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Again, remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now we see, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. The idea isn't that Jesus holds a sword in his mouth like a buccaneer or that he is spitting swords once again this is a dramatic way of referring to the power of his word the application is this christ conquers by the power of his word and as uh, michelle and isaiah come up i'll end with this last uh, this last point five times in the book of revelation john emphasized that jesus's sword comes out of his mouth hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us for the word of god is living and active sharper than uh, any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And he himself, again, he'll rule with a rod of iron. Jesus comes to rule and reign in triumph, to rule the nations with a rod of iron, as predicted in Psalm chapter 2. He comes as king of kings to display every king, to displace every king and reigning person on this earth. This is the total displacement of all world sovereignty, all world religions, all world governments. This takes away all the dominion and authority out of the hands of men and women, and it puts it in the rightful hands of Jesus Christ, the true and only king of this world. And lastly, we see here, he has on his robe, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The name is on his thigh for prominence, being easily visible. Remember, where is he? Is he walking on a skyscraper? Is he walking on water? No, he's sitting on a horse, right? At the same time, no one knew except him. No one can comprehend him perfectly. Again, this expresses the majesty, the greatness, the mystery of our God. 
mystery in the sense that there are just some things that we are not privy to know about him. He makes what he wants known to us and plain for us to understand. But some things will remain a mystery. I'll leave you with Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 12. It says, can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes and puts a person in prison or calls the courts to order, who can stop him? For he knows those who are false and he takes note of all their sins. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. Wow. That is off the hook. You see, God don't have a sense of humor. He was talking to Job like, come on, bro. A donkey ain't going to produce a human. The reality is this. May we live our lives in light of his greatness and cling to his word. Amen. As it is the source of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. I know that it went a little long, but I ain't tripping. Lord, it's in your time. Lord, your word is so important. (laughs) Your message is so important, Lord. You love your people so much. You're trying to reinforce these things to us that we would grab hold of your truth and never let go. Father, please do that mighty work in us. Make us soldiers that are strong in you with love, compassion. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment so we could sidestep these potholes and these landmines that the enemy has set for us. May we be those that are truly recognized as the remnant of the church. Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.